0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Franklin Family Podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Penville, and this week I am joined by Vice President and Dean, Sarah Steinert-Burella, who currently see- oversees academic affairs. Not only does she help students with everything related to academics, she also teaches comparative literary and cultural studies. Dean SSB, as we call her on campus, can f- be found with her doggy Stevie and a smile on her face. I'm very honored that she agreed to be on the podcast today, and I look forward to sharing part of her story with all of you listeners. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Margaret. What a lovely introduction. I'm really happy to be here. So exciting.
0: Yeah, no, super exciting. Um, so I guess let's just get into it.
1: Um, for starters, why did you choose to teach at Franklin? So my story is a little bit different, I think, than a lot of people who ended up at Franklin who came for specifically for the job. I actually had been teaching in Oregon. Uh, at Pacific University, and took uh, leave from my position there to finish a book project. Um, and came with my family to the Ticino. My um, then-husband is actually from Ticino, so we were really familiar with it. And working on that book project and staying for the year, we were like, wow, this is really great. And I liked it so much, and we liked it so much that we wanted to stay. So. Um, I started looking for positions and there was a position advertised at Franklin for someone who did comp lit and French and maybe German. And I thought, wow, this must be fate. And so that was the year that they hired both me and Professor Weedmark. Um, and yeah, so I've been here ever since. That was in 2005. So really exciting. That's super
0: exciting. So did you guys live in Bellinzona all along or did you live in other places in Ticino?
1: No, so actually you know, yeah, you're right. I live in Valenzana, and I've been living in Belenzona and um, I'm very fortunate to live in a house that belonged to the family since the early 1900s, and um, yeah, and it's a great place, and I've really enjoyed actually having that kind of uh, life in Belenzona and then coming to Ludano, which is a little bit bigger, and coming to school here, and being able to actually sometimes share with students the back and forth, um, COVID's made that made that a little bit difficult, but you know, I think several a group of students and academic mentors and, and students past and present have been to my terrace and to my house. And that's always been a really nice plus that I've been able to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely like an icon of Franklin experience. I've heard many good things about your terrace.
1: <laughs> and it's the one of the latest things I was really happy about. I got bid on it at the senior auction. So True. who ended up bidding on it? So I think Uh, Maddie Espinoza did on it with a few other students so I'm really excited to have them come out um, because now the norms are going to be easing up and we'll be as soon as the weather's a little bit warmer we'll be outside and enjoying an APRO on my terrace. That's so
0: so nice I'm excited for them as well Um, but so day-to-day you are the dean and the vice president who oversees academic affairs but you also teach on the side so you know Obviously, we're going to get into your experience teaching, but first, I'm curious about what your favorite part about being the Dean of Academic Affairs and, you know, what made you believe that it was fate when you found this position?
1: So I started, I should probably say I started teaching at Franklin and I kind of moved up into the leadership position at a time when we felt like we needed maybe some more leadership and, and new directions. This was already, this was a long time ago already. But now I'd have to say that my very favorite part of academic affairs, I was trying to think about how to talk about this. And I think my, the answer is coffee. So my favorite part of academic affairs and being dean of academic affairs is that I get to meet so many different people from all parts of our community. And I get to spend time with them. And so, and I, I love coffee, as many of you know. And um, I love being able to have, take the time and say to students who maybe have a problem to talk about, or advisees who want to, you know, what do I do next, what comes next, what about my plan, or with faculty, we talk about classes, we talk about research, we talk about all sorts of things with staff as well, and it's really great to be able to do that either at a grotto or a campus dining or just over a cup of coffee in my office. Um, and to get to know people from all over the community, I feel really lucky in that sense that I have that ability and that that opportunity to, to talk with people and to hear their stories and what's working for them, what's not. And, and, you know, I really like to actually, one of the things I like best about my job is that, um, sometimes I'm in a position to be able to help people solve their problems and to fix things. And, I really appreciate not being able to solve that for them, but to help them maybe find a solution that works best for them, especially for students, right? That's exciting. Yeah. No,
0: for sure. That's really fun. And there's lots of cool stories to learn about on Franklin campus. So I can imagine your coffee time is very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your go-to
1: coffee order? Oh, I'm totally, so I'm a cappuccino orderer, but if it's been a lot of, if it's been a long day, it's a double espresso and a cappuccino.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a fan of the double espresso and a cappuccino. And me- then, if it's
1: after, to be clear, if it's after 10 o'clock, I'm over, I'm back to a macchiato. So, yeah, yeah,
0: cultural standards. Exactly, just got to just gotta be clear about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, being a professor at Franklin, you also get the opportunity to do research. Um, and you are now currently at work on an oral history project called Tell Me What You Eat. And you will tell me what you are oral histories of food and migration um and i'm curious you know how you got started on this project how's it coming along um i know you lead an academic travel um, kind of talking about similar topics does this kind of correlate you know just give me all the juicy details
1: <laughs> so you i think a lot of people know i'm really into the whole food thing now and um so food studies has been something that i've actually taught at franklin since since i started I taught that culture class in cuisine which i'm teaching this semester and I think I taught it in the, for the very first time in 2006, actually. So um, I've been teaching a variation on that course and, and bringing it up to date. And then I added my food course. And then I thought, you know, this is really something I'm really interested in getting into research-wise as well. And I went to um, I went to a conference once upon a time when we were allowed to go go places. Um, and I guess that was in 2018 in Perugia, and I was talking about um, I was talking about teaching my sustainable uh European, the European food networks and about sustainability and teaching and working with students, and I'm really interested in this idea of creating ethical eaters because I think it's a lifetime scale, and I think it's something everyone needs to think about and be conscious of and be aware of. What are you eating? Where's your food from? Why are you eating it? How is it culturally related to where you live and all those sort of things? I'm very interested in that. most students probably know, a lot of my colleagues. So um, that was something I was talking about at this conference. And I met uh, Chris Fink, who is a professor at uh, Ohio Wesleyan University. And I said, oh, you know, we're in the GLEA, the Global Liberal Arts Association together. And we could do something together. And he's like, well, that'd be a great idea. And so we started working, and he was working in local communities in Ohio and still is working in local communities in Ohio about immigrant populations and their food culture and how they keep their food culture. And then we talked a little bit and we started working together. And um, we actually went to a, a workshop on oral histories together in Bulgaria at the American University of Bulgaria. And we got to talk about how we could make our projects kind of come together, and we are both really interested in food, and I was really interested in uh, uh, connecting to a project called, um, uh, a project in Poschiavo that that Cassiano Illuminati, who has worked with Franklin before, uh, about the ALP Foodways project, and I was really interested in looking at that. And that looks at migration not from migratory, not in migration so much as out migration. How do you keep, rural communities that are experiencing out migration, are losing population, right? How do you keep urban, uh, rural mountain communities alive? Um, and how do you keep their food culture alive? And th- that may involve in-migration as well if there are m- m- uh, migratory communities coming in and how do they mix? And so I'm really interested in that. And that goes back to my academic travel um, in and that went to post Gabriel when we went in the past, not this past year, but the, in years past to the Valca Monica, with groups that were working on, this is a UNESCO project, this ALP uh, Waste project. And yeah. so we worked with them. And then I was able to work with Chris and we were trying to figure out how to bring students into that picture. And it all came together around these oral histories. And so this past fall, actually, we went to Poschiavo and students were able to interview as they did the year before, interview people f- who are involved in Poschiavo's 100% About Poschiavo project, which is about using food and growing local food. And, and getting into the tables in Poschiav and into the restaurants there. And they were able to interview people from all over the community and then use those interviews in a digital project, which Chris and I are then going to put, we're putting them up on a, a joint website with a couple of the universities working on food projects related to migration. So that's the, wow, well, sorry. that's a long version oh, of, super um, of that question, but what it's a little bit been stopped by COVID because we really hope to both bring students to, last June to Perugia for the next version of the conference and now it looks like it won't happen this June either but we're hoping that to do that in the future and bring students together to work on this idea about oral history, uh, food, migration.
0: Yeah no that'll be really really interesting and do you feel like Franklin allows you for some creativity on the involvement with students you know like when you have these projects and you're just able to kind of bring them to life here on campus? Like, how was that transition or involvement, I guess?
1: I mean, I really love that part about Franklin. I, I feel like um, we talk a lot about how you bring research into the classroom and research informing your class, classroom. But I feel like at Franklin, we do that really well. And we have a, a number of colleagues who do that with their academic travels. Um, you know, if you think of Professor Hale, his travels to Iceland, and he's written all about Iceland and that sort of thing. Um, just one example, of my, my travel about um, uh, the foodways, I just think it's really exciting. And those are just some examples. Every, I think most of the professors, frankly, on campus have done something with that. And it's just really exciting and, and fun to see. And I think it makes the travel even more meaningful, if that's possible. So, um, so, yeah, it's just one of those things that I think if you can get students involved in your research, it makes, for me, it makes my teaching really rewarding. And it also makes me think about things sometimes for my research and my writing that I might not have thought of before. And so that's a really, yeah, a really just a value added.
0: No, it's super cool. It's definitely a unique experience, especially as a student to be able to, you know, kind of witness this process. Um, you know, we'll kind of touch in base on this a little bit later, but especially when you're writing your final papers or papers of any kind, like you realize that your professors can actually give you, real life advice, because they're not just a professor teaching, they're also working on similar types of things
1: and can advise you in that sense. So it's super cool. That's like one of the things I always tell my students we we walk, we review like the peer review process and uh, the revision process. And, and uh, I'm just like, this is not just in my class or in your other classes or in your writing classes. But listen, I do this all the time, right? Whenever you publish a paper that it's about review, peer review, and having other people read it, revise, revise, revise. So it's a lifelong skill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it is.
0: I remember we were meeting for our theses, and um, Professor Schwack was like, we get it. Like, we honestly get it. This is the worst part about writing the paper, but it'll only get better. And you, you can't help but believe her because you know, you know, it's very... Exactly it's very awesome um but kind of talking more about you being a professor so um when you first came and now through the evolution of you becoming the dean um you know what do you like most about being a professor and you know what originally drew you to being able to teach um to teach university students and also teach comparative literary and
1: cultural studies um yeah so that's actually a great question i love teaching and i've always been drawn to teaching and when I was in your shoes and like finishing college, I was either going to go to grad school or go teach at a private school somewhere kind of thing right out of school. And when I got into grad school, I was like, okay, that'll be that. And then, uh, you know, at the time going to grad school involved teaching as well as part of the assistantship. So that was certainly always really important to me, but it was kind of, I, I don't know, I never really doubted that that's what I was gonna be doing once I was finishing up college. Um, I did major in college in French and German, and um, I always wanted to do complete with French and German and Italian, and I had actually studied abroad. So I studied in Switzerland after high school. I, with, now you call it a gap year, but we didn't actually have gap years then. So I, I, t- I was an exchange student after high school, and then I studied my junior year again in Switzerland. Um, And so that's when I learned French and German and I was totally committed right by the time I finished college and I wrote actually my dissertation uh, in graduate school about Swiss women writers. And so, yeah, that was like a big thing for me. Um, But the teaching part, um, I taught French mostly actually when I was at Pacific University. And when I came to Franklin, um, Professor Wiener and I had the opportunity to develop complete and cultural studies. And it just seemed like a natural fit for a place in the middle of Europe and, where you can use your languages and you should be able, you know, you can bring all those things together. And like everything is cultural studies. And so moving in that way, I had always loved anthropology. And to me, cultural studies is this kind of beautiful mix of this literature, cultural studies, anthropology all together. So for me, it was a really natural um, addition. And I, like I said, I had been interested in food and, and doing that. And then I wrote about travel writing. So like my migration course was really close to my research and that sort of thing. And so those were, I love what I love most about CLCS is being able to build courses that were really near and dear to my heart. Um, And so, yeah, that's been a really exciting thing. And to watch students, you know, progress one of my favorite things about, being a professor, and then, okay, I'm just going to add the Dean part, because this is kind of a crowning piece, but, you know, to watch students who come in as first-year students, and they, you know, they, you know, they can't find their way from the grotto uh, to North Campus yet, and that's just normal, right? And then they're in class, and they're afraid to talk, and as they kind of grow, and they, and they find their way, and they kind of do all these great things, and they come up with these fabulous programs that they start, and it's always, first, of all, it makes you so proud, and then to watch them when they come to graduation, and you're going to see this soon, and you know, when you, I get to read the names as they walk across the stage and I'm always all teary-eyed. It is just so wonderful to see how far students have come and their wonderful accomplishments. And it's just really, to me, it's like the best job in the world. Yeah,
0: yeah no, it must be insane to see the evolution of literally basically knowing nothing to feeling like, you know, a lot more. Maybe people think they know everything, but well, you know, that's debatable. <laughs> um, okay, I didn't actually realize that you started the cultural studies and comparative literature yeah
1: well look, professor we knew we, we that was uh, the former president president nielsen kind of tasked us with that that was something he said this makes sense to me i don't know why we don't have it and i'd like to see you start it yeah said,
0: that's i can't imagine wrinkle without it i didn't realize like how recent it was that's yeah, cool. yeah, so. and how long did it take to begin that or to
1: i think we started In fall 2006, so it took about a year for the year we were here. I mean, we were tasked with that. We were hired with that intention. So that was.
0: Oh, that's super cool. That must be super fun because you get to pick all the, you know, course requirements and all that kind of stuff as well. That's
1: super. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's really fun.
0: And um, you kind of mentioned um, talking about Swiss writers um, a little while ago, and I was Kind of wondering if you could m- talk about what it was like publishing your book, the narrative of Ella Mayart.
1: Right, the the travel narrative of Ella Mayart.
0: Yeah, so, and during the quest and yes. you, what made you choose her and things like that.
1: So Ella Mayart was a. Uh, she passed away in nineteen ninety three. Maybe nineteen ninety. I don't even remember when. But sorry, but um. She traveled all over Asia in the 30s and 40s. And I was writing my dissertation actually on Swiss Women Writers, which was um, Swiss from the French, German, and Italian parts, doing a comparative study. I would never embark on that kind of a crazy project again. Mm-hmm. But at the time, um, uh, my actually my sister-in-law gave me one of her books because she's from Geneva and my sister-in-law was living in Geneva, and she said, Oh, you know, you're writing about Swiss women writers, you need to read LMIF, and I just loved it. And um, I read, oh, said, which is um, The Forbidden Journey in English, and it's about her. She traveled across China in 1935, right, um, <clears throat> to India. And just the it's just about her travels and how she did that and what it meant, and I just loved it. I found it so interesting that this woman from Switzerland did this, and um, how she came about doing it, and then I kind of read more about her and her story, and um, there was really nothing, written about her. And so I kind of got started and I thought, oh, this is my gonna be my book project and started reading her different she's written she'd written a lot and kind of fallen into um, you know, not very well known. And interestingly in Switzerland she was always very well known and in Geneva she was kind of a local hero and <clears throat> but more as a she had been in the Olympics. She had been on she had She'd been a sailor in the Olympics in the Olympics okay. in Paris in 1924, actually. And she was a national skier. And so she, she really was really nice as an athlete. She started the first field hockey team in Geneva and um, and less for her writing. And so it was just really interesting to go back and look at that. And what did it mean for a woman to be writing about and traveling and, uh, in the 30s and 40s and prior to the Second World War? And. And, and, yeah, so that was a really interesting process, but I can totally feel, and this is one of those things when you talk to students, you know, after doing this kind of a project, it's like when you're a senior and working in the last throes of your district, of your, of your thesis, rather, it's just like, is this ever going to end? in the end, you're just like, I'm so, I really, really need to be done with this and, and move on to, to something new, but it's so exciting when you finish and, and just like, you're the expert on that after, after you're done, and that's really exciting. So for all of you thesis writers who are just about done or on the at, on the last, in the home stretch, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel is what I
0: think. I feel refreshed knowing that. Like, you know it, but logically, but then when you're in
1: it, you're like, is
0: this real? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> um, and so before we kind of discuss this, Podcast. I was thinking of asking you what was one of your standout moments, and I know you were like, "I need time." You know, this is a very big question, and so after reflection, you know, what could you say is one of your standout moments at Franklin?
1: So this was really interesting to me because, of course, one of the standout moments because is like all the students I've known. I think. And working with colleagues has been just really great. And then, but I have to say, it's those graduation moments, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's that time of seeing some, and some students, some students you know, they are never going to have a problem. They're going to do really great work and they're going to get going from the get go. But sometimes you have students and you know, you're like, going to be struggle and it's going to take a lot to help them get through and for them to really mature and to get through and when you see those students walk across the stage it's just like "Ah!" it almost takes your breath away so there's there's though that moment for sure would be the graduation kind of on repeat because I wouldn't want to single a single one out right yeah but yeah so that's been one but also I mean just like watching Franklin grow has been really exciting and kind of go into new new things and Um, Yeah, and so I have to say the other piece I was going to say was academic travel. And again, I don't think I would single out one academic travel, but every academic travel has something so memorable for me that I can associate with them, sometimes better, sometimes (laughs) worse, but mostly just the kind of great feeling and getting students. I used to teach a travel that was about travel writing and kind of introducing students to that and, and getting them excited about that. And then the food studies thing, like opening people's eyes, to yeah what does it mean to be eating locally and what does it mean for the local culture and that kind of thing for me that's just always just really kind of an adrenaline it's just really great and so those are I'd have to say those are my real highlights and my standouts yeah
0: yeah no I mean those are really good I'm excited um to feel that graduation moment with you this year which should be nice um and so, you know, kind of to transition as you are as well, um, you know, there's some congratulations in order. Um, you are going to be moving on to be an executive director of Virginia Tech's Steger Center for International Studies just around the bend at Riva San Vitale. Um, so congratulations on that firstly. Um, that's super exciting. Obviously, you will be missed here at Franklin. You make a huge positive impact here. But we're excited to see you move on to your new journey. Um, and if Oh, you- this is so
1: nice of you. Thank you, Margaret. Thank
0: you. Oh, of course. I mean I'm speaking for, you know, the crowds when I say this, but how did you you know, how did you get like? You know, how did you move forward with this position, and what's drawing you to it, and what will
1: you be doing, kind of? Yeah, while- a great question. So, how did you decide to like leave? You know, a position that I've really loved and a place that I really love, um, but. So I've been talking to people at Virginia Tech for a while now, for a little bit, for over a year now, and um, just about their ideas. And they they bring a, a, a program to our campus. So there are people I've worked with, and they had some questions about things. And, you know, last year was the big, they evacuated their students. And, you know, we were talking about different approaches and what kind of what was going on here on the ground. And <clears throat> So we were talking about this. So this is something that's been in the works for a while. Um, and for me... You know, this year I had this. We did the U.S. accreditation and the Swiss accreditation and yeah. the pandemic. And I kind of felt like, you know what, this has been great. It's been a lot, but I think it's time. I feel like this is a good time for me to transition in my, personally, for me in my career, if I want to make a change, this is probably the right time to do it. Um, And this opportunity, um, I've had a few other opportunities in the past that maybe weren't quite um. That I wasn't quite ready to "Oh, Do I want to make a big, a big move? Probably not. Um, Do I want, I really like it here. And so I've been evaluating these kind of questions. So when this opportunity came up to be able to stay in Ticino, but to be building, to be building a new program, they've had the program in Riva um, at the Steer Center for about 30 years now, Mm -hmm. but it's mainly been associated with architecture and European studies and things like that. And they just really want to grow the program. They're, they're Mm -hmm. merging, a current structure is an operating director and a faculty director in Virginia. And I'll kind of be taking on both of those positions with the executive director position within an effort to bring in more programs, to build new programs, to build collaborations and connections. So I'm really excited it's going to mean I'm going to be still able to collaborate here with Franklin um, and bring students. And then to build contact with the local community and it's just kind of new challenges. I feel like it'll be a really wonderful chance for me to, to take on something new. Um, and I'll be just down the road. So I'll be able to work with people from Franklin and they, you know, you'll be able to find me if you, if you want to talk or come for coffee. I won't be fun.
0: Yeah, no, that, that actually sounds really amazing. There's a lot of creativity, I feel, that you're going to be able to have. And kind of similar to Franklin and the idea that if you want something done, you can do it, you know, and that
1: should yeah. be... Fun. Exactly, exactly. So I'm hoping to bring some good ideas and I'm really excited to also work, you know, in the context of a big university, I have never had that experience. And so that's something that for me was actually an important thing to add. And I was like, oh, I think I can learn a lot. They have a huge, you know, they have a huge international programs office and they have a big student life office that's involved there. And so we're hoping there's all kinds of places for collaboration. Um, from academic affairs to student life to programming. So I'm really excited about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that will be really exciting. And it is super close. So, you know, Franklin has good things coming for them um, endlessly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, amazing. Uh, Thank you so much for being part of this podcast. I'm really excited to have been able to speak with you this morning um, and learn a little bit about what's going on in your next stage of life. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure and an honor to talk to you and keep going with the great podcasts. I really enjoy them.
0: Yay. Yay. Well, I'll speak with you soon.
1: All right. Thanks. Bye. Mark.